Tonight I'll be preaching from the book of James, James chapter 4, James chapter 4, and I'll be reading verses 13 down to verse number 15, James chapter 4 and verse 13. The Bible says, go to now, ye that say, today or tomorrow we will go into such a city. And continue there a year, and buy, and sell, and get gain. Whereas ye know not what shall be on the morrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor, that appeareth for a little time, and then vanisheth away. For that ye ought to say, if the Lord will, we shall do this or that. Let us pray. Father, we thank you so much for this great salvation that you have given to us. We thank you for sending your son to this earth as a sacrifice for our sins. Because of your love, your grace, and your mercy, you would bankrupt heaven so that we could have life and have it more abundantly. Even when we didn't deserve it, you gave us your very best. Dear Lord, we are humbled by the fact that you would save us and then incorporate us into your kingdom-building effort, this vehicle, this organism called the church. I pray that you would help us to understand the blessings associated with being your representatives and also the responsibilities as well. I pray tonight as your word goes forth that you would speak to each and every heart in a very special way. Give me the words you'll have me to say. Cleanse me of sin, empty me of self, fill me with your precious Holy Spirit, for that these words would be your words. Use them for the honor and glory of your name. Speak to each heart in a very special way, and we'll be careful to thank you and praise you for it. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you so much for standing. You'll be seated. Any skill that requires careful training to acquire that requires practice and precision is one that also needs to be sharpened continually in order to function at a high level of efficiency, effectiveness, and performance. Just by way of example, in the area of sports, in one of our most loved sports in our island and our region, in that of cricket, you might hear a, a batsman say, I need to get into good form. And what that batsman is referring to is that he or she needs to sharpen up their skill to be in, as they say, good touch, good nick, that state, you see, of being sharp does not stay permanently at the same level. And to maintain a proper level of sharpness, if you will, requires a consistent and diligent approach to practicing or to continue to repeat a disciplined sequence of habits. Failure to consistently do those things will inevitably result in a loss of sharpness of one's ability and effectiveness 
of that skill. A similar principle holds true when it comes to this matter of spirituality. Spirituality. You see, one's level of spirituality does not increase or stay constant without a disciplined approach to staying true to particular practices that would enable such a result. We've addressed this matter of spirituality that James addresses in uh, chapter number four. And we've understood and observed that spirituality is the essence, is in essence rather, our willingness and ability to respond in obedience to what God says. Spirituality is not based on how well we dress. Spirituality is not based on how well we raise our hands in worship. Spirituality is not based on us just ticking off a number of check boxes of what the perceived Christian ought to be doing. But spirituality is our willingness to listen and respond in obedience to what God is saying. James, in this short epistle, gives a number of important and critical elements that result in living a spiritual, and in other words, spirit-filled Christian life. We've observed a number of principles in chapter 4, and we recognize, not accidentally, by any stretch of the imagination, that he begins this chapter with describing a devastating problem. The most devastating problem known to mankind is is a problem of sin. Sin will always be our biggest problem. It's a problem with which we were born. It's a nature that has been passed on to us because of man's disobedience to God. It's a problem that we grapple with. He refers to this matter of lust. We just have this craving for what is wrong. But thank God, in the face of this devastating problem, God, because of his mercy, his love, and his grace to us, gives us a divine push. Amen? Look at how in verse number 6, he pivots And he says, in spite of all that I've just described, in spite of this problem of sin that brings about enmity with God, that separates man from a relationship with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, in verse number 6 he says, but in the middle of all that, he giveth more grace. That's the push of God upon our life. That's God enabling us to do what we couldn't do on our own. In the verses following, number 7 to verse number 10, we saw a definite prescription. You see, God has done his part. And God will always do his part. But there's a responsibility that you and I have if we're going to be able to see God's will accomplished in our lives. And we looked at that in great detail. So we won't summarize all of it for the sake of time tonight. 
But continuing on in this chapter, I hope you are seeing the context and the flow of these verses that it all points to this matter of serving and pleasing God with our lives. We saw last week there was a direct prohibition. James understood that there's some things in life that often trip us up very easily. And in verses 11 to 12, he talks about the propensity that we have to come to conclusions without having all the facts. And how we, in addition to coming to conclusions, often bring down the gavel on individuals. But the truth is that God is not done with us yet. And often we are a little bit hasty in writing off people. When God is saying, I'm still working, the story is not ended. And he gives us a prohibition to recognize that God wants to save every person. And let him work and let him do what he's doing. But tonight I want us to observe in the verses that we read, verses 13 to 16, there's a desirable perspective that we ought to have. A desirable perspective. You see, when we have a proper perspective of life, when we have a perspective that comes from God, it helps us manage this thing called life. And so I want you to jot down very briefly tonight and quickly as it relates to this desirable perspective that there must be a realization of our limits. A realization of our limits. Look with me at verse number 13. It says, Go to now, ye that say today or tomorrow we will go into such a city and continue there a year and buy and sell and get gain, whereas ye know not what shall be on the morrow. Here James is saying, listen, we are people living in this life and we, of course, of necessity, go about to achieve our goals. And we, in an attempt to accomplish our goals, we have plans. And we look at the future and we say, oh, tomorrow I'm going to do this. Next week I'm going to do that. I'm going to sell this. I'm going to acquire this. I'm going to get gain. But James is giving us a word of caution that we have some limits that are inherent to we are, who we are as human beings. We can have the best laid plans, but while it is important to plan, let's recognize that we have some limitations that could very well hinder the accomplishment of those plans. What are some limitations that we have? First of all, we are not omniscient. We simply don't know everything. Uh, you look at the past uh, two couple decades and you realize that man has reached a point where he has concluded or assumed that he has more knowledge than ever before in human history. And as such, this time period in which we live has been referred to as the information age. Just an abundance of knowledge available to man. 
But here's what I've noticed about this abundance of information. That it should help man recognize the limitations of our existing knowledge. Because there's so much else new to learn. Do you know that I've observed in reflection that science, as they say, is changing. And I've said this before. It's not that science is changing. It's just that man is finding out new things that he did not know before. Because when I was going to school, I mean, I remember in science, uh, there are nine planets. And I promise you, man has recognized that there are so many more than nine planets these days. What we were saying back 20, 30 years ago has now been superseded by new information. And it's a realization that man is ever learning, but man will never know everything. We're not omniscient. And so as we make plans, and as we look towards the future, let's recognize we have a limitation of limited knowledge. There's some other limitations we have. We are not omnipresent. I'd love to see man try to overcome this one. We can never be in more than one place at a time. I mean, we rejoice and we celebrate over the fact that in the middle of a pandemic, I mean, we can go and we can go on a conference call by way of Zoom and these other uh, applications that help us to be able to be in contact with people all around the world at the same time. But when it boils down to the reality, none of us can be in more than one place at a time. I remember when I was growing up, and just the thought of being on a phone call and being able to see someone else or the person who you are speaking to at the same time seems so far-fetched. Any of you ever thought about that? Those days of wired phones and uh, these young people probably, uh, that must look like a real relic. I don't know if they even, I mean, they, they exist too much these days. But, but the, having to stay put uh, next to the phone because it, 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 it's connected uh, to the receiver by a, a, a wire that just seems so far-fetched that one of these days in the future, you'll be able to see the person who you're speaking to. That seemed like something out of the Jetsons anyway, when we were growing up. That was a cartoon, by the way, young people. Right? It seems something way far in the future. And now today, we can see, interact with the individuals we're talking to, but we can still be in only one place at a time. We're not omnipresent. We're not omniscient. And here's the other thing. We are not omnipotent. There are some things that we simply, as human beings, cannot do. We have limited ability, limited power. And so James is bringing us to this realization that, that, that listen, you have your plans, you have your programs, you have all the things that you are thinking that you will do, but recognize and realize our human 
limitations. He's helping us to have a proper perspective. Look at how this continues. He says, realize your limits. But he also says, there's some realities of life that we have to understand. Look at what he says in verse number 14. He says, whereas ye know not what shall be on the morrow, he says, for what is your life? He says, there's some things we must come to grips with about this life, this gift from God that he has given to us. He says, it is even a vapor that appeared for a little time and then vanisheth away. What's one of the stark realities of life? Life is short. Life is short. Life is temporary. I mean, as I reflect over life, it feels to me, honestly, that it's just a couple of years ago, I was a toddler. I mean, seriously. I mean, just a couple of years ago, I was learning to ride a two-wheeler. Just a couple of years ago, I was a teenager going to high school. Just a couple of years ago, I was going off to college. Just a couple of years ago. And now, my children are doing the same thing. Now almost ready to be done with high school. I mean, I'm sure you can identify Some of you remember when you were going to your grandparents. And now you are the grandparent. I mean, life is short. Let me give the young people a warning. Be careful of calling people old. Since you ask, be careful of calling people old. Be careful of looking down on those who are aged. Because guess what? You might get there. There is no guarantee. There is no guarantee that you'll get there to have the privilege of being able to say you are old. Life is short. But here's something else I want you to notice about the reality of life. Life is scheduled. Listen to what David said in Psalms 31 and verse 15. He says, my times are in thy hand. David is saying uh, that the, the, the beginning of my life, everything in between up until the end of my life is in the hand of God. Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 27 points specifically to that ending time of life and refers to it as an appointment. And as it is appointed unto men once to die. 
But after this, the judgment. You see, my friend, life is short, but life is scheduled. We're not here by accident or happenstance. There's a time, Ecclesiastes says, chapter 3, there's a time to be born and there's a time to die. This life here on earth uh, has a schedule associated with it. And you see, my friends, uh, this time that we have, we just don't know how long we have. But it's scheduled. It's an appointment. There's a story that was told. And it's told as told by death. This is death. Relaying this story. It says there was a merchant in Baghdad. Who sent his servant to market to buy provisions. And in a little while the servant came back. White and trembling. Said master. Just now when I was in the marketplace. I was jostled by a woman in the crowd. And when I turned. I saw it was death. That jostled me. She looked at me and made a threatening gesture. Now lend me your horse and I will ride away from city and from this city and avoid my fate. I will go to Samara and there death will not find me. The merchant lent him his horse and the servant mounted it. And he dug his spurs in its flanks and as fast as the horse could gallop, he went. Then the merchant went down to the marketplace and he saw me, remember it is death speaking, standing in the crowd. And he came to me and said, why did you make a threatening gesture to my servant when you saw him this morning? That was not a threatening gesture, I said. It was only a start of surprise. I was astonished. To see him in Baghdad. For I had an appointment with him tonight in Samara. My friend, you cannot run away from death. It is a scheduled appointment. God has our birth and the time of our death in his hand. But you see, the reality of life is that while it is short, while it is scheduled, the specifics of these times, it is a secret. We don't know when it's going to be. Imagine having an appointment, but just not knowing when it will be. Such is the nature of our appointment with death. We see this reality over and over and over and over, but somehow it seems not to sink in. There's so many people who have started this day, who started last week, started this month not knowing that it would be their last. James says such is the reality of life. And when we understand the reality of life, when we have a perspective of recognizing and realizing our limits, here's what James is ultimately saying to us. Rely on the Lord. Have some reliance on him. Look at what he says in verse number 15 in closing. He says, for that he ought to say, if the Lord will, we shall live or do this or that.
What is he saying ultimately? Because I have a particular perspective, I don't ought to have the right attitude. What's the attitude? An attitude of humility. That there's someone who's bigger than you and me. This godless mindset that has uh, enveloped our community and our nation and our world has led to arrogance and self-sufficiency. A mindset of self-sufficiency among mankind. Because there's a mindset to say, I'm in charge. But when we understand that God is on the throne, we approach him with humility. There's a right attitude and there's an approach of dependence. That it, and not if, but knowing that this God is omniscient, he's omnipotent, and he's omnipresent, I approach him with dependence. That he can do what we cannot. We had such a glorious time, men, this past Tuesday, as we gave testimonies of different ways in which God has worked in our lives, personally and in our families. The common thread and the common theme was that God is a miracle-working God. That's just how he, who he is. That's just what he does. And look at what David says in Psalm 31 and verse 19. Oh, how great is thy goodness, which thou hast laid up for them that fear thee, which thou hast wrought for them that trust in thee before the sons of men. Having an approach of dependence. And then we ought to have an aspiration that I'm going to please this God. I'm going to serve him. I'm going to do his will. Why? Because when I do his will, and when what I do in my life lines up with his will, I put myself in the place of blessing. So James says, I want you to have this perspective of life. It's a short life. When we have the right attitude, the right approach, the right aspiration, God can make this life and will make this life worth living. In spite of the sinful nature that we have, in spite of all the obstacles that we will face, God is able to do great things when we put him in his rightful place. He's able to give us the power to overcome James says, when we have this perspective, God will honor himself in our lives. Help us to be the kind of people that he'll have us to be. In other words, we will then be spiritual. It's just that God will help us in our walk to recognize that we can indeed live a productive, vibrant, and fulfilling Christian life when we have the right perspective of God and the right perspective of who we are in relation to this great God.